This is a pod. A pod about dogs. Healthy dogs. It's the healthy dog pod. Thank you to the sponsor of this season of the Healthy Dog Pod, Field Day. Field Day is an Australian-made and owned dog health and wellness brand that creates products to help your dog live the best and healthiest life, inside and out. Field Day has a range of whole food meal toppers that target the top four health concerns for dogs. Joints, digestion, anxiety, and skin. They're also really easy to use. You simply add them to the food that your dog already loves. You can also look after your dog's skin and coat health with Field Day's brand new grooming range. Field Day also donates 1% of all online profits to Pets of the Homeless. This is a charity that works to help keep vulnerable people and their pets together by alleviating the burden of providing essential pet care during times of hardship. You can shop the Field Day range online now at fieldaypet.com.au and use the code HDP10 for 10% off site-wide. That's HDP10 for 10% off. Now it's time to get to the show. Hello everyone, this is Georgia from Field Day. Today on the Healthy Dog Pod, we've got Ian and Sophie. Welcome to the show, everybody. Yeah. Hey. It's so nice <laughs> not being the interviewer for once. <laughs> no, it's really weird. <laughs> so we've actually flipped the tables this week and made Ian and Sophie our esteemed guests of this episode. So to introduce myself, a new voice in your ears, my name is Georgia and I'm the brand manager for Field Day, who is the sponsor you have got to know very well over this season with every intro and outro and giveaway and social post we've been doing for the past three months. Um, the team of Field Day figured that you would have been, you are very keen, sorry, to hear from Ian and Sophie a little bit more. You're used to hearing from all the guests they've got. But really, we wanted to get to know them a little bit more this week and unpack their stories and hear from them because they have so much experience in this industry. Um, so, yeah, welcome to the potty, Ian and Sophie. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> and speak, speaking of giveaways, I believe Field Day have set something up for us as well. We absolutely have. So to celebrate the finale of this season, which is very bittersweet, we are going to be giving one lucky listener an entire year's supply of Field Day meal toppers for their dog. We're also going to be giving them a Field Day luxury dog bowl set that we've recently released, which Ooh. as someone who only had a very ugly metal dog bowl until recently, it's a game changer. For your Are they so ugly? Just the horrible. Absolutely horrible. And like kind of scratched. You don't yeah. know who got it for you. You maybe found it on the street. <laughs> it's going to be a huge upgrade for whoever gets to win this, believe me. And we're also going to be donating $200 on your behalf to Pets of the Homeless. So you heard from Yvonne in episode three. Um, they are a charity partner of Field Day we work with. Um, and they work to help vulnerable people and their pets together by alleviating the burden of providing essential pet care during times of hardship. So listen till the end of the episode to find out how you can enter and potentially win that giveaway. But now to the more important things. Let's start with an easy one. What was the name of your dog slash first pet if you didn't have a dog? Controversial if you didn't, but <laughs> we won't tell anyone. And what is your fondest memory of them? You go first, Soph. So the first dog, I think I was born when Bessie was around. She was a blue healer, um, but it was pretty quick when I was born and when she passed away. And then we got... Um, a dog called Bomber. So after Essendon Bombers football team, because um, we're mad Essendon supporters. And my dad and the four of my sisters um, wanted to call him Bomber and mum was North Melbourne. So she didn't really have a say in this. Um, and I think my fondest memory of him is doing agility with him. So me and my younger sister, it was actually quite mean thinking about it now. Me and my younger sister, we used to watch Crofts, you know, the agility on TV. And we would get brooms and we would like get my dad, he was a plumber and he had like all this timber and pipes and stuff. So we'd build it up and we'd try and get him to do the weaves and everything. And we would time him. And if he didn't do it in a certain time, we'd be like, no, nah, no treat for you. You didn't do it in the right time. Sorry, back to the start. 
was like definitely instilled some like deep-seated issues into that dog (laughs) i feel so mean because we were like no no medals for participation in this house (laughs) i was like oh that's so mean for him and then probably the other biggest one that i have to um say is my little sister we had my um auntie coming and looking after for after us and um we were like we have to take the dog to the shops we have to take him with us and she's like no we can't take the dog with us i've got the pram i've got everything we're like please please so she found like you know those big elastic um you used to tie around your legs and the other person would stand yeah yeah and, and you like, jump like in and out of them. jump in and out she had him on that and it was an absolute like horror show. She had the pram, she had me walking, she had the dog, and then he like got around the pram and then he like flipped the pram over because the elastic was caught. Then I was like in the elastic and my auntie was like <laughs> screaming down the road. <laughs> and it was so bad, but I just wanted him everywhere with me. Um, yeah, so they're probably my two fondest memories of Bob. He was a beagle, he was a beagle, so yeah. <laughs> Also love that your dad was like, we're calling it after my favourite footy team. And yeah. Well, that's, you know, at least a decade of memorabilia in every family holiday and like in our house. Exactly right. (laughs) Ian, how about you? What was your first dog's name? Well, when I was a kid, we weren't, we didn't have dogs in the house. Mum was really allergic. So my first pet's name was a mouse. It was Smokey. Um, So... I loved like um, me and my brother both got mice and that was smoky and magic but the um and that was cute like dad built us like literally custom built this awesome hutch for them it was amazing but my first memory of like pet dogs was my nan we had she had this uh German shepherd pitch black beautiful thing called prince and he was grumpy as hell with everyone but me and that was my favorite memory because he liked me and he didn't like anyone else I love the entire memory is just him liking you and no one else it's like yeah I mean I was probably like three or four years old is my first memory of him so that's basically my like emotional state happy (laughs) but it was like wasn't until I was 21 where I got my first dog of my own and that for me was when I realized about how much they bring to our lives, that sense of companionship. And that's where I just really just had this unbreakable relationship. Um, and it was so nice. And she could come absolutely everywhere with me. She had her own seat in the pub. So I'd walk in and go up on your seat, mate. And she'd fall asleep and wait for me to get drunk and stumble home. And <laughs> yeah, she was. That's what you want in a dog. But that's the ultimate. My dog on the way home. <laughs> She was like, I imagine yeah. just guiding you as you're like stumbling. Like he just smells home. She was a hell of a lot smarter than me. So yeah. <laughs> but that was it. That was that was when I realized that the dog What was her name? Lola. And she was a Springer Spaniel, we think, like some maybe some sort of Brittany. We got her from a rescue. And she for me, the best memory was just that mateship. She was just there for me. That's so nice. Yeah. Um Staying on memory lane for the time being, mm-hmm. what's your favourite dog movie? I'll start, just to kind of break the ice. Mine is 100% Marley and Me. I going to say that. Yeah. And I don't know what is wrong with me, but I'll always watch that movie when I'm like in a very emotional state. And I'll be like, you know, I'm going to put this movie on, which I know is going to break me down <laughs> and just make me sob. Makes I, me- yeah, I don't know why I do it, but every time it gets me, it's so heartfelt, it's so beautiful. You know, I agree. I can't move yeah. on from that. Like Marley and Me is the best dog movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, if you're comparing it, what, what do you compare it to? Those awful kids ones about like huskies. Yeah. Well, is that a thing? Well, Lassie, I, I liked Lassie. I I do love Red Dog. I have not oh. seen Red Dog because I can't bring myself to see it. It's <laughs> it took me a long time. It's it really did. Just, I'm like thinking about it now and I'm getting yeah. emotional. <laughs> I, I literally, I've heard things and I'm like, I want to see it. And every time I like go, I'm like, I'm emotionally ready for this. I can't watch it. I, I can't. Marley and me. <laughs> Ruined dog movies. I worked with a descendant of Red Dog. Um, 
it was well there was four i think in the original movie i think off the top of my head there was four dogs that made up red dog <laughs> and uh and i worked with the descendant of one of them um that was cool that was like a little claim to fame that nobody else <laughs> that was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like royalty in the dog world 100 percent. yeah that's a win i would take that okay so moving away from memory lane um, I guess we've had a big season. We've spoken to a lot of guests. You guys have really traveled the world with the guests and the kind of categories you've played in this season. And as you kind of reflect back on who you've spoken to and the things you've learned and the ideas you've discussed, I really just wanted to know what stuck out and what particular things come to mind. I'm sure there were things with every single guest that you spoke with that kind of stuck out. But I guess, Sophie, is there something that initially comes to mind that kind of blew your socks off or has changed the way you think about the work you do now? I think Andy Hale. I think I pretty much didn't speak that whole episode because I was just like this. (laughs) Yeah, I was just, everything that came out of his mouth was just, it just made me really think. And one thing that really stuck out what he said when he was talking about the doors of the brain, so how we... Like the dogs, I can't even explain it. (laughs) The doors of the brain close and we need them to open up for the dog to be able to think more clearly. And I was just like, yeah, I've never used that analogy before about, you know, how we're closing the doors of the brain Mm -hmm. and just about the dog's like emotional experience as well. I was just that episode. Yeah, it just really stuck with me what he was saying. It was just he's amazing i could listen to him for hours actually <laughs> shout out to andy <laughs> so good shout out to every single one of our guests uh because they all brought something so good to the table um they were really able to articulate the points so clearly um getting getting to speak to kim brophy in person for me was like i was is a career highlight like I've looked up to Kim for years and the information that she shares for our industry is honestly some of the best I've ever come across. And I remember the first time I heard her speak um, on a podcast over to, over two years ago now, uh, three maybe three years ago. And I'll be honest, like not, it wasn't so much groundbreaking it for me personally but what it what it did was actually just give me some sanity and go I'm not the only one that thinks like this thank god there is somebody else that is actually on like the same page because at at some points this and we did we ended up covering a similar narrative throughout the series and it wasn't deliberate we ended up talking so much around the way that the industry is viewed and the expectations that are placed on dog trainers. Mm. And Kim summarizes this for me, probably better than anybody I've, I've ever listened to. And so when I heard her speak all those years ago, I was like, oh, thank Christ, like this is, I just needed to hear somebody else say it. What would you say her like, if you were to kind of summarize in a sentence or two, for everyone again, to kind of refresh everyone's memory, that kind of hypothesis is and what her kind of, um, thought processes when it does come to the industry. The expectations of dog behavior are so warped as a, as a, as a, as a whole, well, the, the, what we expect our dogs to do, to put up with, to comply with, and then how, as a, as a, how we live with them is warped. And we're seeing this increase in unwanted behaviors and people unfortunately are still labeling it as naughty bad dogs instead of looking at meeting the fundamental needs of the dog and I'm really optimistic that this season through different narratives through different lenses is able to highlight to people the importance of taking a step back from our through our lens and going how might the dog be actually perceiving this and we had you know I love the I love the guest we had on had on because Mel Ritterman's looking at it from like how to make it harmonious with kids in the family. Simon came on and started talking about it from like, you know, from a bloke looking at it like I'm still going to treat it with kindness and empathy, never mind my stereotype of what I might look like. 
um, we've got Tracy Irons breaking it down from a really scientific point of view of like the uh, problem behavior versus, uh, sorry, a training problem versus a behavior issue, whether that dog is thinking about it or panicking. Mm. And all of them brought so much to the table. Mm. Yeah. Do you think, what do you think, sorry, those stereotypes are that kind of need to be broken down? Because I think that's such an interesting point that there are so many stereotypes when it comes to being a dog owner for dogs themselves. And what do you think it's going to take for those stereotypes to be broken down? Obviously having discussions like this and podcasts like this help, but I think for it to kind of reach a broader consciousness, what do you think needs to, to change? Well, look, it's, it's a societal issue. It really is. It's a, it's a cultural thing. Um, it's not going to change overnight. Uh, the truth is that, you know, handling behavior is evolving within humans um and we're not there yet uh in terms of everybody conforming to that kind of way of approaching behavior until that is resolved we're not going to dogs are always going to be catching up they're always going to be behind on that front you know there's things that we can do by making sure that the messaging out there online the ease of quality ease of access to quality information can improve but it really is about making sure that I don't believe that every single person that listens to the podcast is going to agree, to be mm. honest. But there is a lot of power in planting a seed and just getting that thought process just rolling in their mind. And that's the kind of thing I think at this stage it's going to take to, to shift the momentum towards where we believe it needs to go. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. What would you say on a swimming side note are some of the worst stereotypes for specific breeds of dogs? Because I mean, you, I'm realizing more and more how much you already have unconscious biases in your own, like in your own mind when you see certain dogs at the park and you have to sit back and be like, why do I think that? Why am I feeling a certain way about a Rottweiler and a certain way about a tiny fluffy dog that's barking a lot? Why am I not thinking about them all as dogs? What would you say are the worst breeds that have these stereotypes? Did anything come to mind, Sophie? Staffies, probably. Yeah. Amstaff, staffies, yeah. People, like, even the ones, some of them that I do walk, you know, people will cross the road and that dog's, like, completely fine. You know, sometimes there are dogs that I work with that are not fine with other dogs, so I'll cross the road. But it's just instant looking and just going, no, and just taking them, taking themselves away or their dog away. Yeah, just making a rash decision about them. Yeah. No. So it could also be, you know, they may have had an incident in the past as well with that specific breed too. So I totally understand that. But Um, I guess every dog's crossing the road, they don't all have past traumas. You would assume they probably don't all have past traumas and they're probably just making a rash decision about a cute little staffy. Yeah, I'm just like, please. Yeah. (laughs) But you can't change everyone's mind on that. that's where this uh these conversations and really really listening to the conversations in detail because the power of language comes in you know we need to as a society remove labels like aggression like like my dog is not aggressive 100 percent of the time my dog's not aggressive but (laughs) he's just like i can't do it but like no dog is aggressive 100 percent of the time and no dog is friendly 100 percent of the time so these labels really don't help they only hinder and then education on dog psychology body language and training like simply understanding that dogs are not stubborn dogs are not spiteful and then taking a step back and reframing that well if they're not what are they and really just understanding that but like that language that is ingrained in society we need we don't just need trainers and behaviorists to jump on board with this we need everybody in the industry to not do things like use this language because it sells Mm. and as, as and we have to move away from dogs being a commodity for their mental health mm. and it, 
it's really bad to be honest like there are so many people out there that do know better but they're like oh i make i make more money doing it this way yeah because they think like oh i can just make some digital ad that says is your dog really angry and aggressive and barking a lot people click on it because that's what they because they don't have an understanding yet that they need to look into those behaviors more Mm -hmm. yeah it's almost like the changes need to happen in the people the dogs are fine it's the people that have the problem we hit a hundred percent don't see other dog breeds as wrong they yeah. just see a dog <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah and i think that whole like quick fix as well needs to disappear too yeah i in think terms of people thinking that they can just do a few little things and then their dog will be fine. yeah well like, as, if, as if looking at the behavior of the dog as if it's a problem because it's a problem to them instead of that that notion that you should just oh, fix it because they're broken is brutal and they shouldn't be doing that and yeah. that's a really strong message but it's one that i will 100 stand by all day because yeah. like, yeah. those ads that you said like you know they pop up i'll fix your dog in one session yeah and it's Massive like flag. no you won't yeah and, it, and it, it's you, gotta, you gotta work on this for their whole life like it's not just when they're young because it's this reciprocal relationship between the between the owner and the dog. Yeah. Changing yeah. our behavior. We want to change our behavior, you know. You guys should just start running sessions without the dog, just talking to the owner and being like, it's-, it's I love cool. Zooms. I love yeah. Zooms for that this reason. I love, <laughs> me too. I've learned to love Zoom because I'm like, I can help you via Zoom. And then the people are like, oh, wow, we didn't actually think this would work. Absolutely. Best trainers in the world don't need the dog there. You can put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Buy some merch soon from the online store. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be really good, actually. I know. That would be, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Have it on a hat. Um, you don't need the dog there. We we can explain to the people, you know, to our clients. And then you're giving them the kind of power, like the autonomy. To be like, all right, now you got to go do the work. Mm. Do you find that more commonly, more common than not, people like a client that you work with, you'll do the session, they'll do the work, and then you'll come back next week. It's like go to the physio, right? You go to the physio and they're like, do these exercises until next week. And you say, yeah, yeah, yeah no worries. You come back next week and you haven't done them and you lie to them and say, yeah, yeah, I did them. And they know straight away that you didn't. Do you find that happens all the time? I literally <laughs> with my physio. I've been going, I have a dodgy shoulder at the moment. And I said this to my physio. I'm like, same with dog training. Like if I come in a week and I haven't done the exercises, you're going to know. Right away. It's the same with dogs. We're like, we know you didn't do it. Our, mu- our mutual friend, he's uh, been going to the Cairo recently. Um, and he, he's been for the first eight weeks, <laughs> he did, uh, he did all of his exercises. He rocked up to the physio or to the Cairo um, and laid down. And the first thing he said was, why'd you stop stretching? He didn't touch him. This is uh, our buddy, Alan. And he hadn't been stretching. And there is no getting away from that. If you, we do this for a living. We know. (laughs) (laughs) You would know as soon as you see the dog, if one of the things you want to teach them, right? It's like not pulling on the lead. And they come in pulling on the lead. You're like, well, yeah, really do the exercises we told you. Yeah. And then, and that's something like, I mean, side note, but you know, I've got a team of team of like behavior consults Hmm. consultants and something we have to get across to them is to, you know, you do your best and you will be there for the client. But as soon as the client doesn't, you need to ask yourself, like, did I do it? Did I portray the message well enough? And did I do my bit? Hmm. But if you feel that you did, it's not on you. Yeah. That's something as behavior consultants, we should not be wearing. If the, if the, if the dog caregiver isn't stepping up, then we will go and find one that will, yeah. and, then, and they will give us much more job satisfaction and better results. Yeah. We shouldn't be held accountable solely for the results of the behavior of the dog. hundred percent. Yeah. And it seems like that would be a logical thing for people to kind of across but i can imagine when there's the emotion involved when you're Mm. working with a dog you have that attachment and we're all dog people here we all get attached to dogs at the park every day that you're never going to see again so if you do have an ongoing relationship with a dog it would be really hard to detach from it 
and not take responsibility for yeah. it. So just like, to share with anyone who's getting their dog trained, do your exercises. Also, <laughs> you should do your exercises at the physio anyway. Yeah. They know. They straight up know. <laughs> I guess um, it's kind of a good point now. We can kind of go back a little bit. So obviously we have, you guys have all this experience and you've had this season to talk to some guests and kind of bring in your own experience into those questions. But I think for a lot of people listening, they're probably curious about how you got to where you are now and how you gained that experience. So I guess, I mean, Sophie, we can start with you. What would you, I mean, in a short synopsis timeline, say is kind of your journey to where you got to now? I mean, I'm sure people are quite curious as to how So Help Me Dog kind of started. Um, so I think it really started when I was back in Melbourne um, and working for customs. And I just absolutely loved, you know, working with the breeding dogs there and working with the team there. And then I remember one day, uh, someone was sick and they're like, Sophie, you have to go out and, you know, desensitize this dog to the conveyor belts at the airport. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, it was so exciting. Um, and, you know, they were just like young puppies, but it was really cool. And we got to go there and they got to experience it and just like making it a positive association and then taking them on like open stairs and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I'd love to do this. But when I spoke to the people who worked there, you know, they've been in the job for about 15 years or so. And I was like, oh, like, you know, when are their jobs opening? And they're like, no one wants to leave because they love it. I'm like, oh, great. Um, and then when I moved here, I was like, you know what? New opportunity. I'm going to do the dog training course. And then I did dog training course. And I think the one thing that I, that I almost regret slash not regret is I like dived into it. I just went, yep, let's do it. Let's start my own business and I didn't really have that experience behind me and I remember having one dog for three months that I was walking and I was like oh no so that's when I kind of had to get a bar job and then um found this guy here and reached out and said hello take me in (laughs) and then he like mentored me I was really annoying um, I probably called him like a billion times and messaged him. I asked him like every question under the sun because I just wanted to know everything. And he did answer me. Um, <laughs> I think I wore him down. <laughs> but I would go to his consults. Like I would just be like, what do you have on Saturday? Can I come along? And then I'd come along and I'd just be taking notes like mad. Um, and then, you know, if you do a write-up, be like, can you add me in the write-up? I want to I know. I want to know, you know, what the next steps are. Like, how do we go from here? and then got to know his team and then got to know other trainers and walkers in the area and we just became this like community and I think it's really nice especially like right now we have this group um and it's just four trainers and and walkers in the area and we get on a monthly zoom and just chat and it's just nice to talk about dogs and refer other dogs and yeah i just think it's a really we're all we're all about the dogs so if i have a dog that i'm like oh it should go into groups now i'll be like hey who can take this dog into groups because i don't do groups Mm. and then if someone's got a group and they're like this dog's not suited for this group hey do you want this dog it needs individual so we like we really are just a really nice community it sounds like um i mean you mentioned earlier how there's maybe some misunderstanding of the industry and it sounds kind of like you've banded together Mm. because nobody else understands what it is that you're trying to do and I love the idea that you're all kind of banding together and making your own like secret dog behavior society almost I mean you're probably not wearing like (laughs) and stuff in your zooms but that's (laughs) like Hogwarts style but it is really nice that you've kind of found this community of people and you'll continue to grow and ultimately like your voice will become really loud as a group and that's when that change is really going to happen, you would think. That's exactly right. And that's what we want that change to happen. And we're like, well, it has to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is one of the reasons why the podcast was started. We were like, yeah. we're saying the same thing over and over again. Let's say that out to everyone else and get yeah. people to listen and try and get them to join in our community. Yeah, I love that. That's so nice. And I think it's nice for people to think too, like when they're kind of coming to yourselves with their dog, being like these people have this whole community of people that are going to support my one little dog, which just seems like such a little, just one thing, one person, but you've got all these people who are backing you. 
which is it's, just so nice. It's quite interesting because right at the moment, like I had surgery for endometriosis and I've had my surgeon, I've got a dietitian, I've got a physio, you know, I've got a psychiatrist, we're all working together to try and help me. Like you need that team. You can't do it on your own. And like, I've learned that from Ian the most is, you know, when I have an issue that I'm like, Ian, I don't know what to do next with this dog. I'll refer to him. And if he's like, this is out of my scope, I'll send it to a vet behaviorist. And then we all work together. Yeah. That dog. And it's not just about you being a success on your own. It's about the dog being a success at the end of the day. 100%. Yeah, yeah. put that on a t-shirt as well. <laughs> <laughs> a whole wardrobe. The store is just growing. growing, growing. <laughs> Long story short, that's my, that's yeah. where I am today. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, Ian, what would you, I mean, I would love to know your kind of side of the story of when Soph did reach out and you're like, who is this person? And then kind of the flip coin of, of taking her under your wing. I mean, you can start at the beginning as well, but it will be interesting to touch on that. Well, for me, like... I, before I even learned how to, like, went and studied, like, formally how to train a dog, I have always loved just observing animal behavior. I, I was that kid at school that was always just watching the animals. I was the dinosaur geek. I was the farm animal geek. I was the Amazon geek. I'm a fish geek. I'm just an animal geek. And I, I love it. And when, when I started doing this, role and job I realized really quickly how big an element of the the human element was and so I really started to just really want to be there as a support network for our clients one of one of my first mentors um, and I've said this before but one of my first mentors said to me there's one thing that two dog trainers agree on is that the third one's wrong and while I know it was tongue in cheek and I do that, that's not me as a person, as a, as a person, I just love bringing people together. I was the, I was the kid at school that was friends with people from different, you know, walks of life, all different schools, different sports. Mm. And I'd have a barbecue and just pull everyone together and it would, it would be fine. Um, <laughs> and so when Sophie, you know, as, as I've developed, I've grown in confidence, being able to talk about dog training and behavior, inevitably, like any skill set grows over time. But what I'm really passionate about is those messages that we've already spoken of. And so when I'm a really big believer in power of community. So when Sophie's reaching out to me, it doesn't just stop with Sophie. It's, it's literally, and I'll apply this to my clients, I'll say to them, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, I want you to keep me up to date. I want you to ask me questions. I want you to email me. I want you to send me videos. I want you to, I will give you all of the time in the world if you show an interest in what we're doing here today. And that is really powerful because people, I just want them to know they've got a support network, the one that Sophie's talking about. That that group that Sophie's talking about, the first time we held a monthly meeting, like, I sat there and honestly, all these faces on the screen, and I was sitting there so, like, I didn't even, it was completely by fluke, but I realized how many of those people at the start of their career I'd influenced in some way. Mm. I'm like, this is such a proud moment. And it's just the beginning. I genuinely believe like this podcast plus all of the projects that we'll be doing as a community will reinforce the message. And I think the benefits is the ones that benefit most from that are the dogs, yeah. but also the caregivers as well, because the fewer unwanted behaviors we see in our dogs, that means that the caregivers are living a much, a much more enjoyable life with them and their relationships are stronger. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's very true. And kind of that community is ultimately the reason why things are going to change. And I have no doubt that you know, a year from now, it'll be double and then triple and then quadrupled in size because people are going to listen to this podcast and be like maybe I can do this maybe this is something I'm interested in and I do think that the dog industry is maybe well, the dog industry well not pet food industry that's not us but you know like dog behavior and getting into that space might be intimidating for people because there is still a stigma about people not thinking it's a legitimate yeah job when it really is and it's a growing industry we've seen more people get dogs in the last year than ever before and there's a demand for it. So I don't know, I think it's going to be a really 
liberating day for both of you when people look at it with the respect that it deserves you know and it is always funny when someone goes oh what do you do for work and I'm like I'm a I, I refuse to use the word dog trainer these days I'm like I'm a dog behavior consultant mm. um and they'll go no no like what how do you earn money yeah <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize that's what you're talking about. Right. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I stack, sh I stack shelves at Coles. Like and they're like, Oh, awesome. <laughs> but yeah. people don't understand what you do. And then yeah, people are close minded. Yeah. Well, we, we said this in one of the episodes, I can't remember which one to be honest, but it was, um, I don't think people realize how much science and education we go through to be able to do our job effectively. Yeah. We study. And yeah. we study yeah we're fortunate enough to study something we are so passionate about um but that doesn't mean it's not a career and it's I don't know. It's like people think that you just somehow just have this gift and you can just go to the park with the dog and be like now you are trained yeah yeah <laughs> like, no, spot on. send an invoice to the dog owner like you obviously have to do so much research and you constantly have to be up to date well, unfortunately, that message was portrayed by that TV show with the guy just walking into the house and going, just, just show them your authority. Like, what a load of crap that was. But yeah. it set so many people up to fail. And unfortunately, it completely devalued the, the industry that he loves so much. Yeah. So, good job, mate. <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> well, oh, no. oh, you're talking oh. about scouts. We're talking about we're talking about the dog whisperer. Oh yeah, yeah. Will not be named. <laughs> will not be named. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on from that one, I think the natural kind of next question for you both is what advice you would give to someone who is interested in getting into the industry but maybe doesn't know how and how you would kind of recommend they, you know, jump into the deep end and and really go for it, but with you know the confidence that you guys both have now with all your experience. It's so tough. It's tough to know where to start, and we, 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 um, again, she's thinking back to that phase in her life. She's like, I don't know how I did it, I just did it. Well, we, we've got we, we get a lot of inquiries asking that exact question. Mm. Um, and so we've got a list of courses that we send to people as to really good places to start. And so, if you are looking to just send us an email, to be honest, but. It's, it is tough because if you go online, there is, because it's unregulated, you can go and learn some really horrific stuff and come out with the same cert for mm. um, as somebody that's teaching some really good stuff. So, you know, listen to the podcast, listen to um, what the red flags are around how to create a really, look, I don't want to say bad trainer, but someone that doesn't consider the dog's needs. Yeah. unfortunately i don't I, I honestly believe like even those using methods that we don't condone i don't i don't doubt that the people using them have the best intentions this industry is full of good intentions yeah but that's not good enough and we need people to really be the advocate for their dog and to really kind of take a step back and respect that they shouldn't be punished for communicating how they feel mm. So if we signing up to become educated in how to do that, pull out, ask for your money back because that's taking the whole industry in the wrong direction. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any advice that you would have, so in terms of like those first few steps? Um, I guess even personally, like what you think someone kind of needs, where they need to be at mentally to kind of take the plunge, with like with any career um, change, really. Yeah. So I think, like I've had four people in the past few months, send me emails and ask me, you know, how do I get started? What do I do? And I've just got a Zoom session. In the email and now people are emailing you. That <laughs> I, love that. I know, passing it on. Um, so I've just been having quick Zoom sessions with them and just being like, okay, what do you want to do? Like, this is the industry. Um, this is how I kind of got started. This is my journey. And I say, you know, listen to the podcast. I say, follow me follow Ian and then I give like wherever they are I kind of give a list of trainers to follow and then I say you know jump on their followers and then follow them and then you'll start to kind of see you know who the really good trainers are out there yeah. um also like looking up a course to do but then I always said to people 
don't try and jump too early. Like that's the thing that I did the most is I like dived mm-hmm. and I had like nothing behind me. I had no money. I, you know, had no job. I just kind of dived into it and I was like, this will go great. Um, and that's why I kind of had to get a bar job at night to support myself. So I think the one thing is like, have that behind you, have that backing behind you um, until you kind of build yourself up as well. It's yeah. I think a bit like an apprenticeship. Like before I was a dog trainer, I was an electrician. And before I was competent enough to go out on my own, I studied for four years. And that was necessary to make sure I didn't burn people's houses down. <laughs> and <laughs> and, it's, and the thing is, what you're doing is going into people's homes and literally influencing and telling them how to manipulate behavior. You're messing with people's lives. And so you do need to take it seriously. And it isn't something, you know, you the, the, the effects of what you ha- do could be very severe. Mm. So going to get a formal education, regardless of whether it's regulated or not, we go and get educated because of our social responsibility and the position we've chosen to put ourselves in. Mm-hmm. And so it's so important to go and do that. And from the dog owner's perspective, like that's, there are trainers out there saying, well, I've been doing this all my life. And so I know what I'm doing. That is not a qualification. <laughs> I've, I've had teeth all my life. It doesn't make me a dentist. <laughs> and question your dog trainer. Yeah. Do- ask them because if they can't answer that and if they give you some bullshit answer like that throw them out Mm. it's just not safe yeah and also just yeah i think it's a really good reminder to people that they do have the autonomy to be like hang on a second yeah that's not i don't know i don't know if that sits well with me and then i guess people doing their own research yeah a lot of research beforehand i mean in ideal world we'd have some like accreditation body and I'm sure one day we will where there'll be a uni course that you go and do and you get the degree and it's like getting a degree in psychology or getting a degree in law and then you can really be sure that they're accredited but for the time being I think that's great advice that you have to kind of well, like take take for example like it's getting better like take for example the PPGA of Australia mm-hmm. which is it's not a uh, government acknowledged or anything like that but they do that it's one of the best we've got in order to be a member there you need to keep up with uh, credentials and updating your credentials every year. And to do that, you need to f- do formal study. Yeah. So if you're looking for a trainer, look for, look, make sure they're a member of the PPGA or the APDT. Because um, if they're not, well, they're not, they've got no incentive to keep up with their education. Exactly. Yeah, that's also true. I think that's really great advice um, for people, whether they're looking for a trainer or want to become one. Mm. really everyone should be kind of following those guidelines until maybe they're a bit clearer for people so when you get a dog one day you get given a list of potential trainers in your area that are all accredited and Mm. one day be mandatory that you have to do some training (laughs) one day (laughs) um i guess it would be interesting now to kind of talk about now that you are both accredited and you both run these businesses and you've got all this experience some kind of client stories love using them a client for a dog um, and I guess just kind of some funny stories or some funny um, kind of moments you've had with those clients. I think there'll definitely be people listening who think their dog maybe is a little too far gone or their dog does some really stupid things and they feel like they're alone. But most dogs are a little stupid sometimes. I know one of my dogs is a Tim Tam short of a packet. So I think <laughs> if you've got any kind of, let's start off with some naughty stories, maybe some any of the naughtiest things you've heard a dog that you've worked with do or seen a dog that you've worked with? One of, one of the um, weirdest cases I've had, okay, so this, when we got the phone call, it was pretty severe, right? This, this dog had what was described as major separation anxiety and um, had bust through glass windows on multiple occasions to get, to get out of the house. Um, so if anybody's thinking their dog's got major separation anxiety, like it probably, I don't want to devalue your dog's anxiety, but it does get really bad. So don't let it. Um, and, um, this dog, every single time it escapes the house, um, we 
found out that it was in a body of water in some way, shape or form. So outside of the context, when it was left alone, if they, if they ever told it off, um, it would go and get in the pool and go and stand in the middle of the pool on its tiptoes with it's just its head above the water. And it realized that this was a safe place because nobody could catch it very fast. <laughs> and um, over time, this and this dog just loved swimming. This dog was um, really just into water. It was its thing. If it couldn't get access to the pool, it was hopping the fence and going laying in the neighbor's pond and just sitting there for hours. So the, the weird part of this was the dog didn't have separation anxiety. This dog just was had a really, really strong genetic need to be in water. Now, as long as we could maintain its healthy skin and coat, it wasn't doing any harm. So it wasn't the case of working with its separation anxiety. It was a case of leaving it access to something that it could actually do that it found enjoyable. So it was really involved a lot of thinking outside the box on this case and just letting the little dog sit there with his frogs. And <laughs> I've never heard of anything like that. That's remarkable. It was a different one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's good that it didn't have the separation anxiety. Like putting it, a paddle in there. There's no doubt that it was uncomfortable when left alone. Yeah. But it was. The that's right. And we had to, what we have to do is work with the real life scenario. The dog was unfortunately going to be left alone that we couldn't find any means of actually not leaving it alone for just for certain times. We did our, we did our best and everything we could, we did. Um, but there were times when it was going to be left alone. And so to ease its stress in that moment, we found a really, really useful coping skill that did no harm to anyone. Yeah, it, like from the outside looking in, that looks like such a weird situation. But that's why we try and ask everybody to remove comparison and don't worry about what your neighbor's doing with their dog. If your dog wants to go and get in the water and swim with the frogs all day, fine. Fine, so be it. on it. <laughs> I love that. That's so sweet. I have this vision of it with these little ducks in the pool or in these little paddle pools. <laughs> the dog thinks it's a fit. I like that. Is there any stories that really stand out to you with kind of some maybe specific behaviors, even that you notice which were quite unique or? A dog that kind of had some naughty tendencies. Well, how am I supposed to top that story? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a <laughs> Why you want to go first? <laughs> I had this um, little cavoodle, and he was the owner was home all the time, and he was just so amazing with him. Um, his name was Oliver, the little dog, and he was like, "I want to teach him this. I want to do this," and like he would do everything that I said. So he said to me one day, he's like, I want to teach him to ring a bell to go to the toilet. I was like, how in the hell do I do that? So anyway, spoke to a few people and we worked on him ringing a bell to go to the toilet. And it was awesome. Like he'd go to the door and he'd ring this little bell with his nose, owner would open the door, he'd go to the toilet. Then the dog started to realize, hmm, if I do this, I get a treat. So he started, the owner started to notice, okay, He's going out to the toilet a lot. And then we realized what he was doing was fake peeing and he was just squatting and then running in and getting his treat. So we had to start watching him. We had to literally like bend over and watch to see if he went to the toilet or not. I love that though. I was like, <laughs> genius. There's no, denying, there's no denying the emotion in a dog if they can fake pee to get a treat. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Also, yeah, like the, the yeah. fact that they taught their dog to ring a bell. To go to the yeah, bar. he was so dedicated. It was amazing. Yeah. And this is Did that take a long time. No, like a lot of people it, seem being like, oh, I could do that, but like, how long did it actually take? I think every dog's different as well. And he was, it was before COVID, so it was kind of when I first started about six years ago. And he was home. He was working from home, so he's home all the time. So he was able to do that training and then he was always there when the dog rang the bell yeah. so i always tell people like it's possible but if you leave the bell out all the time and that dog rings and then doesn't get to go out then that's when you're going to find the dog's going to go oh, don't get one yeah like that's like a, a common problem like a lot of people have this dog that is displaying a unwanted behavior and they're so scared 
to give their dog more autonomy and more choice because they're fearful that the dog's going to make the wrong one, mm. like ring the bell too often. There is absolutely, it's part of the training process. It's about teaching context. You go, okay, I'm going to teach him to give him a voice. I'm literally going to give him a voice and this is going to be this bell. Mm. Now, people out there listening, make sure that you understand that bell could be anything. Like if somebody put a bell in my house, I would go lose my shit. So instead I would say, introduce a different noise. Maybe it's just a click. Maybe it's just, you can, you can interpret that. So it's not so offensive to my ear. And then you are going to go through a process of like, yeah, potentially he's going to do it too much, but that's where you step in and don't reward that one. It's not I, that think he noticed, I honestly think he didn't notice until he called me and he's like, I've just realized he's fake peeing on me. And I was you, like, you might, my, my instant reaction would not be to think that my dog is going for a fake way to get a treat. I'd be like, wow, you've got some bladder issues. I wish you were the vet. I wouldn't assume they were like tricking me. <laughs> I love it though. Yeah. <laughs> well. that, I'd be like, you're hilarious. Have <laughs> <laughs> a treat anyway. Yeah, it's funny. Out. That's great. <laughs> command, fake pee command. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> So, are there any particularly kind of favorite dare I say for anyone who's listening to this who has worked with Ian or Sophie but any dogs that have just stood out um to you maybe because they overcame some kind of big issue in their life or um if anything kind of particularly resonates with you still that you kind of carry with you into the work that you do I would have to say and Ian already knows who I'm gonna say Boris obviously he was the first dog that I ever walked, I ever worked with. And it was a massive learning curve for me um, with him. And I remember he he was great. Like he was super social. He was like really good on lean. He was just like great with people. He was a really good dog. Mm -hmm. And he went away for a few weeks and he came back and he was not the same. And I had no idea what was going on with him. He was like not walking on lean. He would like freeze and he didn't like people he didn't like dogs it was just I was like Ian I don't know what to do like I'm confused yeah so anyway he went through a bit of a fear period and Ian came over and explained that to me and really helped me through it and then you know that may help me help the owners through it and when I saw that happen again then I could you know explain to them why this was occurring and how we kind of get him to get better yeah um and yeah like it took a while but he ended up having friends and you know hanging out with other dogs and meeting other people and yeah it just it just took a little a little while but I think that was a massive learning curve for me because that was the first dog and I was just like yeah this is really easy like get to play with him blah 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 but then that happened and I was like yeah. what happened to the dog yeah, yeah do you remember that Ian Oh god, yeah, I love I love that dog. He was absolutely Boris was a we think he was like a we don't know still. He was like an Amstaff cross he had Mastiff in him. Mastiffy thing, but he was really unique. And I think that was the hardest thing because he didn't like strangers, but he was that kind of brown brindle. So he was like tall with like skinny legs. And he was like a brown brindle and people were like, oh, he's really cool. And I'd be like, don't touch him. Um, <laughs> and they're like, no, I like dogs. And I'm like, he doesn't like people. Um, so I think he was like really unique. And I think that's why I found it really difficult. But Ian kind of, you know, chatted me through it. And I remember when you came and we went for a walk together with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, I loved, I loved that dog. He was, um, and this kind of relates back. It kind of makes me think about like what my favorite ones are. And I'm going to flip it ever so slightly because for me, the most, um, the most rewarding cases are when we see those light bulb moments go off in the caregiver's head. Mm. And, you know, Sophie, Sophie, having the opportunity to share that with Sophie through Boris uh, was amazing. And it's, it is those moments where, they so often not all not all of our clients but so often the client is calling us because the dog is a problem and they it takes a 
big bit of, I don't know what the word is, where somebody has to suck it up and put their own needs to one side for a minute and empathize with that dog. Mm. And when they do that, that for me is the biggest success in my job. Mm. Um, and it's, it's really cool. I, I absolutely love that. And I'll get people, you know, send me an email that I've been working with for months, if not years, because they understand that this is not something that gets to be fixed. This is something we're going to have to work with, monitor, adapt with, move, like adjust the goalposts, all of those things. And knowing for me, the biggest sense of reward is doesn't matter how long it's been since I last spoke to them, the fact that they still know that I'm there to support them and they trust in that. I, I love that feeling. That's the reason why I do it. And it's just, that's the best feeling. Yes. I still speak to Boris's parents. So that's like six years ago, I met them and I still chat to them. Like they've just moved to the Southern Highlands, but before that I would be like, Hey, I'm in your area. Can I come see Boris? And then like, I just go for a quick pat and they're like, whenever you want to walk him, just come. It's because we just went on that journey together and they could just see the change, like how he changed and then how I helped him. Um, and Oh, it's going to make me get emotional. <laughs> For a change. <laughs> oh, yeah. So he has a special place in my heart. And just them trusting me too, because I was very new to the industry. And they referred me to so many people. And it's just, just really heartwarming. I have to <laughs> Still alive, so. Love that. I love the name Boris. I love the name, like, very human names. <laughs> My first ever dog was called Beverly and I just like love that you'd meet like multiple people at the park and like, oh, that's my name. And you'd be like, yep. My family, <laughs> we've got Kevin, Trevor, Winston, Merlo, Leo. Oh. I've met a Frenchie called Tony. That was, that was amazing. Tony. <laughs> I met a, um, what are those super little fluffy ones? The Pom? Yes. A pom, yeah. And it's called Jake. And he was 20. 20 years old. 20? Jake wouldn't hear, but he was, and his owner, we were at the beach, and his owner was like, yeah, he can't see or hear, but he loves the feeling of water on his feet. So she just puts him in the shallows of the water and Jake just stood there oblivious. But I love the fact that, like, human names are popular now for dogs. Hmm. It's like just a very common name for men. Yeah. It's like calling your dog Jack. Like <laughs> there's at least 10 people in everyone's life called Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so, it was so funny. I'm like, the kind of natural end to this episode and this season, which is kind of crazy, is what's on the horizon for you both? What's kind of the next step for you both and what do you kind of really want to happen next for both of you for the podcast and for you both individually well yeah I think like for the podcast you know we definitely want to keep doing it I think we really needed to have that year off when COVID happened I think it was a, a good break for us but doing this season we realized how much we missed it and just even, you know, after we'd have guests on, me and Aiden would stay on and chat and be like, oh my God, how good was that? Blah, blah, blah. And then like talk for another half an hour about the episode. Yeah. And that's what we used to do when we used to go into the studio. And yeah, I just, I really miss that. And hoping that we can maybe be together in person again, Ian, even though you live like just over there. <laughs> um, so I think that's our hope for the podcast is to just, you know, keep, keep doing it and keep um, spreading our word right, spreading yeah. our word that's not what i wanted to say the word Spread you know what i mean you know what i mean um and then i think for my company um yeah i think it's just it's hard at the moment just with COVID. i think and as we we're chatting before like i'm really enjoying the zoom but i think really getting back into person one-on-one -on -one would be really nice yeah 
yeah seeing people talking to people i love talking to people yeah seeing yeah. the dogs in person would be nice as well yeah, yeah. <laughs> make things a bit easier yeah like the, the podcast has been like sophie said re restarting this and reigniting this has definitely just re reminded me how much i love doing it um it's just so nice to be able to connect with others in the industry and share that information and giving people that insight into how the professionals see it mm. um so that for me the podcast is going to continue and hopefully can only get stronger mm. um i have i mean covid has smashed us business wise over the last year and a half and but it's completely made us rethink how we do things and i'm really excited by that so you know we we're setting up online learning platforms um and this community that we are building through the podcast we're going to try and find a way to formalize it so that mm -hmm. i really want to get uh information to to dog owners as easily as possible and as efficiently as possible so for me i'm so fortunate to have my team and they can go out and consult and do what they're really passionate about and that hopefully will allow me to really push on and grow this side of uh, the industry as much as possible for australia yeah absolutely the world you mean australia and the world well that's right we've got this whole international um, audience now so yeah, it's just going to open it up to so many other people as well which is just so exciting to think about how many people you've been able to touch and how many more people you'll be able to speak to well we've got a couple of projects on the go but uh we have to keep a little bit quiet right now but they're definitely moving in the right direction i love that just another teaser for you all and on another teaser we have uh teased you with a giveaway at the start of this episode so it feels like you've come to the end of this show and this episode and this finale of the season, which is very bittersweet because it's been so great to put it together and to have the conversations that we've had. And I'm just so grateful that Field Day has been able to be a part of it and come on this journey and and really be there for Ian and Sophie as they kind of grow this amazing part of um, their dog community, essentially. Um, so if you do want to enter the giveaway, all you have to do now that you've got to the end of the episode is head over to the Healthy Dog Pod Instagram, there's a latest post on that with a very obvious giveaway word on it, so you won't be able to miss it. Um, and all you've got to do is make sure you're also following at fieldday underscore pets, which you probably already are after listening to the season. But if you're not, definitely give us a follow. And then just like the post and comment which of your episodes, which of the episodes of this season were your favorite. And then we will randomly pick a winner from there. So be sure to head over to there now whenever you've got a chance to enter. Um, and again, thank you so much to Ian and Sophie um, for your time today and also for your time for this entire season. It's been such a thrill to put it together and I can't wait for everyone to listen to these episodes and re-listen to them because I just think there's so much information that they're going to get from it and it's going to become a favourite, I think, on everyone's favourite podcasting platform. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. And I'll pass the mic back to you both so you can kind of wrap up the season yourselves. Well, thank you so much to Field Day. Thanks for your absolutely it's been such a pleasure to work alongside you and we are really proud to be stood next to you and thank you so much to our listeners and to to our guests it's just so many people to thank <laughs> an award ceremony i would like to thank <laughs> we weren't prepared but no genuinely like we have loved this it has been so much fun and <laughs> This is the best ending ever. Real life. Oh no. What has happened? What has happened? Oh my God, I was on 1%. <gasps> Sorry, continue. Oh my God, no, that could have been terrible. Ian's giving his big acceptance speech. And so Sorry. Cuts out. That is the best ending ever. It could have just been. It just flashed up 1%. And I was like, your reaction i was like anything could be happening right now i was I like thought, is there a dog in the apartment like what i thought there was a spider yeah. <laughs> anyway back to you Ian. back to your oscar thank you so much for everybody for that has participated whether that's a, a listener a viewer or a guest yeah. uh we're so grateful and we're so proud of this community and we can't wait to keep growing it
Amazing. And remember, folks, a healthy dog's a happy dog. <laughs> <laughs> so if he's like just sweating after the spider touch, <laughs> we've not happened incident that none of you can see. But if you go to the YouTube channel, you can. We'll definitely put that on the Instagram. You run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Amazing. See you later. Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Dog Pod. We know we did. Thank you again to our sponsor, Field Day, for making this season of the Healthy Dog Pod possible. And remember, folks, a healthy dog's a happy dog. Woo! And that was the pod. The Healthy Dog Pod.